So tonight we're going to finish up this little side trip into uh, Providence, and then we will get back to the life of Moses per se um, in January, on January the 8th, Lord willing. So uh, that's the schedule. I hope you'll plan to be with us at the congregational meeting on the, um, on the 4th, at which time you will select your elders. Guys, you may remember that last week um, I tried to give you some applications. That is, things in our lives um, for which a com- an understanding of providence would help. Uh, for instance, one of the things I mentioned is forgiveness. And... Um, uh, trying to be better at forgiving uh, offenses. The other thing that we mentioned was spiritual suffering, you may recall. Uh, we talked about Psalm 88 and those dark nights of the soul and those divine desertions. And, and it's in at least those two areas where um, an understanding of and commitment to this thing called providence would be very uh, helpful as you work through your own spiritual suffering and work through towards forgiveness. There's one other thing I want to add to that list, and it's, um, it's not in the same category, but it's just kind of an original thought, and I'm not even sure it's true. So I, I love to spread lies. So um, <laughs> I ran across a phrase uh, in reading Jonathan Edwards, and he, uh, he talked about the wonder of God's providence. The wonder of God's providence. And I started thinking, um, now who is it that is um, most frequently in wonder, uh, in awe over, over the providence of God? And I concluded it wasn't us, because um, we love providence as long as it goes the way that we think it should go. But it, when it doesn't, happen the way we like, then we're not so much committed to um, forgiveness. I mean, no, no providence. So here's the thought that I had, and it's purely speculative on my part, okay? Pure speculation. One of the questions that I get from time to time, I get it a couple of times a year, is what are we going to do in heaven? I mean, uh, you know, I don't I don't want to think that I'm going to be playing a harp all the time. You know, that's going to be boring, and I don't want to do that. So here's, here's, here's something for you to think about. And, and in answer to your question, um, what will we do in heaven? Imagine this scenario. <clears throat> Abraham and Moses and David and Jeremiah. We'll throw Jeremiah in there. They're, they're uh, hanging out in heaven, and they are... Um, they are, they're captured by something that seems to be unfolding on earth. And, and they, 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 they find that God has impregnated a young peasant girl by the name of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they think, my goodness, doesn't that, isn't that what was said in Isaiah 7? And they think, well, you know, that's certainly not how uh, women usually get pregnant, but that's, that, is, that is amazing. And then they watch a little further, and they see that this pregnant woman and her husband, who live in Nazareth, have to make a journey down to Bethlehem. And they, and they, they understand that the reason that they have to go to Bethlehem is because of an edict 
passed by the Roman government that means that they have to return to their own homes, uh, I mean their native homes, and pay a tax. And so they're, they're thinking, well, didn't Micah say that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? And, <laughs> and then the baby is born, and some, some people show up and, and give some gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They say, well, that's, that's really uh, extravagant. But then very shortly thereafter, one of the messengers from the, the, the courtrooms of God shows up with this little girl and her husband and say, you need to get out of here. Herod's about to come and slaughter all the two-year-olds. And so they head to Egypt. And um, they think, wait a minute. I think I've understood that that too is to fulfill something out of the Old Testament. And then Herod dies and the angel comes back and says, you can come out now, but I don't want you to go back to Bethlehem. I want you to go to Nazareth. And they remember, oh yeah, he is to be called the Nazarene. Um, That too is in fulfillment of prophecy. And they look at this, this thing as it unfolds and they pause in wonder over God's providence. I think that's what Jonathan Edwards said to mind. The wonder of God conducting human affairs in such a way as he accomplishes his redemptive purposes um, with exquisite detail and beauty. The wonder of God's providence. Now, that's another place, I think, ladies and gentlemen, that you'll be able to use providence is when you finally get to heaven. Now, I want to close out this series by showing you one other, one other display of providence. It's, it's in one of the stories of the Old Testament. I hope you have a Bible tonight because you're going to have to w- walk through this story with me. <clears throat> it's found in Genesis 24. It doesn't get much uh, uh, marketing. In fact, I'm not sure you know this story that's contained in Genesis 24, but we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to know it before you leave. Um, guys, I think somebody said that the Bible uh, is comprised of 67% stories. And in every one of those stories, you can see the, the providence of God. But this one was particularly poignant for me. And I, 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 want, I want to walk through it with you, <clears throat> and I want you to see... The providence of God on display. Genesis chapter 24 is a story. Let me tell you where we are. You remember there were three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're, at, we're still at Abraham. Abraham doesn't die until chapter 25, I think. Yes, Abraham dies in 20, 25. This is 24. But um, Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. Uh, that was that miracle child. You remember born of Sarah at old age. You remember all that. Well, in chapter 24, this father is very concerned that his son have a bride. And so he calls this, um, uh, we're told, if you'll just stay in the text with me, um, um, in verse 2, he calls to his servant, the oldest of his household, and he tells the servant, I want you to go get a bride for my son. But I don't want you to get one of these Canaanite women. No sirree, Bobby. I don't want a Canaanite woman. I want you to get, um, I want you to get a woman from my, uh, from my hometown or area. 
Um, and uh, the, the servant says to, to Abraham, well, and now what if I can't find anybody that wants to come back with him and marry the guy? She said, do I take him up there? And uh, he says, no, no, don't do that. Don't take him back to that because he, the, the, um, uh, Isaac's future is in Canaan, not in Haran. So don't, don't take him back there. But I want you to go find, I want you to go find him a bride. Now, the trip over to that area, uh, I, I, I brought this with me. I don't know that you can see it, but when, when we go to Israel, we go all the way down here. It's on the Red Sea. It's in a little city called Eilat. Um, Abraham, at this point, is living somewhere around in here. And I don't think you can see it. Right, right around in here. Um, but the, he came from a place over here off the map. So, so the, the servant has to go from here all the way past Tel Aviv and, and then down all the way past the Sea of Galilee and then past the Golan Heights and then he's got to keep going. And uh, pretty soon, uh, somewhere over there, he'll, he'll be there, wherever that is. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have taken a bus ride from here to here. And it's quite a bus ride. It's three and a half, four hours. Some suggest that the trip that this servant had to go on was 550 miles. 550 miles from down here, you know, to over there. 550 miles and, and traveling at about 25 miles a day. That means it took him about three weeks to get there. And now I've taken that bus road, uh, that bus trip, and it's a long bus trip, but um, to walk it, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But this is the trip that uh, the, the servant is supposed to take. Um, now, so just in the trip itself, just that, um, we are watching a God who is steering his people. This guy, um, by the name is, by the way, is, is, it's probably Eliezer of Damascus, who is the servant. He's mentioned in chapter 15, verse 2, before Abraham ever has a son, he says to God, the only guy I've got around here is Eliezer of, um, so after he has Isaac. So it, it probably is Eliezer. So he's got to travel 550 miles over there. Um, and, and if you're some ancient Jew... And Moses is telling you the story about what happened with Abraham and Eliezer. I mean, you are overwhelmed with traveling from here to over there. Um, and, and you begin to think, oh my goodness, um, God is, is guiding this man so that Israel can have a, a, a history. So, just in the trip itself, you know? Now, in the back in the text, if you'll skip that whole hand under the thigh thing, um, Abraham makes him pledge by sticking his hand under his thigh, and that makes, that's really creepy, it seems to me. So we're not going to talk about that. <clears throat> but uh, so uh, as soon as they've got that all squared away, <laughs> whatever that is, uh, the servant Eliezer sets out. Off he goes. A journey to who knows where to find... Who knows whom? And we're told in verse 10 that he goes to Mesopotamia. 
Mesopotamia, it's a word that means the land between the rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, which is kind of close in the vicinity of the Garden of Eden. Now, guys, here's where this story really gets unlikely. About verse 11 and following, um, he's been traveling for these three weeks, you know, and he's in this area, you know, uh, wherever he's not really sure where he is, but he sees these flocks. And it's about time for the women to come out and feed the sheep. He's sitting there, and um, now, now don't you do this, but he did it. He, uh, he sets out a fleece. Do you know what that means? He prays and he says to God, now God, I think I'm close. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not sure, but I think I'm close. So here's what I need you to do. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to say is, um, hello, or <laughs> it says it in there, what, what he's going to say. And then what the woman is going to say in reply Oh, he's going to ask her to water his camels. And uh, the woman who, um, who responds by saying, oh, not only let me water your camels, but let me water everybody, everybody else's camels. That's the one. Now, guys, think about this. All of a sudden, here comes a woman. It's not just any woman, but this is, the granddaughter of Abraham's brother, Nahor. And not only that, she's a virgin. I mean, she's never been married. And not only that, the text says she's nice looking. And so, um, so here we've got this woman coming out. And, 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 and so God has just dropped this little notion into the brain of Eliezer of Damascus. But on the other end of this situation, God has put words into the mouth of Rebecca. So, here she comes. And uh, Eliezer says, uh, hey, uh, would you feed my camels? And she says, uh, well, let me not only feed your camels, let me feed everybody else's camels. And Eliezer says, my, my, what a remarkable coincidence this is. It's amazing. This is just, this is my lucky day. And then it's only after she said that about the watering the camels that she tells him who she is. She's a relative. And at that point, Eliezer says, Oh, oh little did I know. Uh, this is not just a coincidence. This is a big coincidence. No, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice what he does in verse 26. She says in uh, uh, 24, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both strikes. And the man stopped and exclaimed, wow, boy, Lady Luck has smiled on me. No, ladies and gentlemen, do you notice what he does? He worships. 
He worships the Lord because he knows that everything that is just unfolded in front of him is something that God has architected and engineered. And then he begins to think of himself. Think of it to himself. He says, Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was going to turn left, but I decided to turn right. Mm, my. God must have been in that. And then there was that river. You know, that river that was swollen and we couldn't cross it there. So we had to go, you know, someplace else to get across the river. Oh, my. Yahweh was steering us from the moment that we left down here to the place when we get up here. And not only that, he's led me not to a good choice for Isaac's bride, but for the appointed choice for Isaac's bride. He has steered and governed from the very moment I left to the, down to the point that he stuck an idea in my head and stuck words in her mouth. He worked on both ends. And not only was she just a nice looking virgin, she was a member of Abraham's family. Isn't that coincidental? Ladies and gentlemen, if somebody had never told you about providence, you might have said something blasphemous like that. All of it, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, oh, son, I want you to go up to this, this other area over here and I want you to find my son a wife. Ah, well, uh, I wonder where Abraham got that notion. And I'm going to take you and I want to send you, but don't, don't bring her back here. Don't bring her, you know, make, make her come back here. Don't let me go over there. So he, and he winds himself on these ancient paths, comes to a spot where he sees some sheep, and there's a woman who just happened to be coming out, and she just happens to say exactly what he wanted her to say so that she could be identified as the one who is to be the wife of Isaac. Now, guys, we're not done. Um, um, so Rebecca's out there, and she says, well, you know, <laughs> uh, my, my, my brother's Laban, and you know, my, my daddy's uh, Beth Ewell, and uh, you know, we're, we're the granddaughter of you know, uh, Nahor. Folks, even Laban, remember that name? Laban is her brother. Laban is the guy who will so mistreat Jacob, you remember? Uh, a little bit later in the story in Genesis. And he tries to uh, hoodwink Jacob out of the sheep. Remember all that? That's, that's this Laban guy. But Laban is also in the plan. 
Um, and then they all get together <laughs> at the main tent. And Eliezer retells the story. Uh, that's what this whole thing, I mean, this is one of the longest episodes in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis. It's like 67 verses. But part of it is just a repetition of the same story. But Eliezer is telling this story to Laban and Bethuel. And, and it appears that Laban is in charge, perhaps because Bethuel is so old that he has kind of now leaning on his son. But um, beginning um, uh, about verse 42... Eliezer retells the story. And I said, O Lord, the God of my master, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water, let the virgin who comes to the rock water shake. So he's telling that whole story to her brother and her father. And then you come down, after after he's finished telling the story, you come to verse 50. And verse 50 says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered, This is Lady Luck has smiled on us today. What a wonderful set of coincidental circumstances. Look at what they say, ladies and gentlemen. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. Yes, it has. Down to the very word spoken. The whole thing. I was going to turn right, but I turned it left. I was going to cross here. I couldn't cross there. I had to cross there. We came to those mountains. We had to go around. But where did he end up? Next to a well where Rebecca was feeding camels or sheep. And he says, oh, you know, I'm gonna, here's, here's what I'll do. Uh, Lord, I, I would, the woman that answers me this, uh, with these words, that's the right one. So she comes over. Hey, would you, would you water? Bingo. God is controlling the thought that he has to make this statement. He's also dropping words into the mouth of Rebecca. And then we tell the story, and everybody sitting around the campfire says, Oh, golly gee. This is the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. He has steered every step of it. Guys, um, go back to verse 50. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. No, because brother and daddy are overcome. Overcome by what? God's providence. This thing has come from the Lord. You bet it has. And the realization that we are watching God's providential scheme unfold right in front of us, it's like it strikes a fear at the base of one's soul. And they say, I'm not opposing this. No, sir, Bobby. This is of the Lord. Now, guys, we're not done yet. 
even in verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. You know, he's just been on a business trip. He's just gotten back home and he's had himself a nice meal. And he says, I'm just going to go outside and meditate a while. And, and at that very moment, he sits down to start doing some meditating. What does he see? And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Even that, ladies and gentlemen, down to the minutes, the timing of Isaac, I mean, yeah, Isaac just getting home from his business trip so that he could come out and set him, there's the camels and who she, and oh my gosh. The guys, we're not done. Do you know what I've told you? Do you know what you have in this story? Here's what you have. You have, it's a story about a father, Abraham, who sends his most trusted servant, Eliezer, to obtain a bride for his only beloved son. Do you hear it? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not only a story about providence. It's the gospel! It's the gospel of God woven inside the providence of God. Folks, you do know, don't you, that the church is called Jesus' bride? And this trusted servant, the most trusted servant in all of the Father's house, God the Holy Spirit, is told, go get the bride and make sure she comes home with you. This is a story about the Father who wants a bride for his son. And he sends the most faithful servant that he has to make sure that it will happen. You're the bride. And to make sure that you will come to be the bride of the son He sends his sovereign spirit to come get you. Now guys, a couple more things and I'm done. There's a question. Did you see it? You know, I didn't read the thing because it just would take too long. But it's in verse 57. I'll read 56. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, Let us call the young woman and we're going to ask her. 
We're going to ask her. Will you go with this man? Ladies and gentlemen, you were asked that too. The Holy Spirit sent by the Father to get a bride for His Son. On some event, on some occasion, in some way, at some moment in time in your life, the Holy Spirit whispered into your ear, Will you go with this man? Will you marry the Son of the Father? Will you go with this man? And every part of the bride says, Yes, I will go with this man. Gang, Do you now know what Jonathan Edwards meant about the wonders of his providence? Have you been struck by the beauty and glory of God's unfolding redemptive scheme? Well, if not, let me say it, let me let me share it with you one more time. The Father is determined to have a bride for his son. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to come and get you. And then he stands before you and says, will you go with this man? And we all said, you bet I will. When do we leave? Yes, I'll go with this man. Gang, all of these, when we started this little excursus on Providence, I thought it was going to be one week, then I thought it was going to be two weeks, then I thought it was going to be four weeks, and now I think it's six. But in all six of these weeks, ladies and gentlemen, If you cannot step back and worship, then you missed it. Because that's what everybody in this story does. Once they finally see the beauties of God's providence unfolding in their own lives, and they wonder, I'm overcome. I cannot oppose this. This is the Lord. One other thing. It's in verse 67. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Sarah died a couple of chapters ago. His mother, Isaac's mother, Sarah, died. And he was mourning her loss. And what was it that helped him get over his grief? 
a bride. You. You, ladies and gentlemen. Because you see, after a death, the bride came. <laughs> and after Jesus died, this glorious eternal bride was procured irresistibly by the most trusted servant in heaven, the Holy Ghost of God. The wonder. The wonder of God's providence. Our Father, might your people be able to see it and be nourished by it? Might they feed off of the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the providence, the governance of God to unfold it and execute it and bring it to pass. Father, we sit here tonight as men and women who have been sought after by the most trusted servant in the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. He came through a set of circumstances and asked us if we were eager to go with this man. And oh, were we eager. An eagerness that he created within us. An eagerness for the beloved son of the father. And then after his death, the bride came. We love your word, Father. Might it become the merry meat and drink of our souls. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.